Nintendo, a company that holds a lot of control within the gaming industry. From its humble origins as a Japanese playing card company to its domination of early gaming technology to its current captivation of young and old minds alike, making waves and making massive profits sometimes come at the expense of those who support them the most. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Corporate Casket. Today, we'll be talking about the gaming giant, Nintendo, its origins, its failures, and its scandals. Since its origins in the late 1800s, Nintendo has been a big name in the world of toys and games. Renowned for the quality and durability of their consoles and handheld game systems, Nintendo has been a major player in electronic gaming since almost the beginning of the industry itself. Not many companies can boast such long-held success. But like many corporate giants experience, Nintendo has encountered some problems, big problems, that as of recently, even Nintendo's most loyal fans are having a hard time overlooking. Nintendo was once a byword for quality construction and impeccable game design, but this reputation came at a cost. They were and are ruthless in their pursuit of total control over their game pipeline. Where other game companies took an early lead with an almost open source attitude, allowing anyone to design games for their systems, Nintendo kept their game production in-house and only grudgingly admitted years later that this might not be the best method for creating new games to meet the demands of their pixel-hungry consumer base. Even as technology progressed and compact discs became the new industry standard, Nintendo kept their games in cartridges, which made them harder to program and fairly stringent hardware limitations, but also made them harder to pirate or alter. They remained stubborn in their insistence on security, even as their competitors took advantage of the improved graphics processing and heightened speed that came with new compact disc technology. It's a fine line between a perfectionist desire for quality control and a harmful, almost grasping approach to software development. Nintendo has always walked that line, but they may be teetering and about to fall. In 2000, a man by the name of Satoru Iwata became the manager of Nintendo's corporate planning division. Just two years later after the retirement of Hiroshi Yamauchi, Iwata became the fourth president and CEO of Nintendo. He spent most of his early career as a software engineer, making him a rare find in the industry as one of the only game CEOs with hands-on game making experience. In the 80s and 90s, he worked at Nintendo affiliated HAL Laboratory where he helped develop games like Super Smash Bros. for the Nintendo 64 console. In the 90s, he helped work on Nintendo's famous Pokemon video games. It's safe to say that he knew what a successful game should look like both during its development phase and after its release. After Iwata became the president of Nintendo, the company seemed determined to launch itself back into the spotlight. He oversaw the creation of the Nintendo DS gaming systems. When he encountered critiques about the company not responding to new console trends fast enough, he announced that Nintendo would branch out into mobile phone games. As a CEO, he listened to employees, critics, and fans. He would interview the numerous Nintendo development teams to learn how they felt about the state of the company and ask what they thought could be improved. When fans responded negatively to teaser trailers at industry events or had strong opinions about the announcement of future Nintendo plans, Iwata would put out tweets or messages thanking the fans for the feedback. He would then actively utilize their suggestions in the production of games and systems moving forward. Iwata was well-loved by the gaming community. 
In 2015, he died of cancer and fans noticed a shift in the company's presentation and attitudes. Nintendo seemed to becoming more profit-focused and less attentive to fan opinions. A new CEO, Tatsumi Kimushima, led from 2015 to 2018 and was then rapidly succeeded by Shuntaro Furukawa. Some Nintendo fans cite these newer CEOs and their differing leadership styles as possible reasons for Nintendo's sudden increase in controversies. Despite the love that Nintendo's games have earned from their fans, the company has also made quite a few enemies through their calculated business dealings and money-focused mindsets. While Nintendo has always been one of the most influential advocates of proprietary software and intellectual property, they used to be welcoming, even encouraging of fan participation and fan-created works. That attitude seems to have been lost in the last few years. Lately, Nintendo has gained a somewhat negative reputation for the repeated efforts to ban videos and channels that use Nintendo content without meeting their extremely detailed and occasionally arbitrary standards. 2019 and 2020 were big years for backlash against Nintendo, especially in response to their handling of a YouTuber known as Gilva Sunner, known for uploading music from various video game franchises. Most of his videos featured Nintendo music for the YouTube community to enjoy. At the time of the controversy, Nintendo's music wasn't available on Spotify or other music streaming platforms. So many people took to YouTube channels to listen to their childhood favorites. None of his videos were monetized. And in fact, he stated that he never profited from any of the videos he posted. He created them so Nintendo fans could listen to the theme music from their favorite games. Despite that statement, Nintendo filed mass claims of copyright strikes and had his videos removed from YouTube. Gilva Sunner posted images on his Twitter account showing a list of 115 videos that were removed from his channel in 2019. At the end of 2020, he posted an update with even more videos that had been taken down with copyright strikes. He wasn't angry, rather, he described himself as disappointed as many Nintendo fans who reacted to the incident and his Twitter posts. Nintendo was, of course, well within their rights to ask for the music to be removed as it was their intellectual property. The incident sparked discussion within the Nintendo community about the lack of a platform for people who want to stream or purchase Nintendo music directly. Another YouTube personality, David Eric Ramos, summed up the reaction of the community fairly well in his tweet responding to Gilva Sunner's situation. I know copyright is complicated, especially internationally, but if Nintendo is going to start ripping down YouTube channels that have poured years into uploading these beloved soundtracks for all to hear, at least start uploading them to other digital platforms. The removal of Gilva Sunner's videos exacerbated an increasing trend of fans being wary about Nintendo Corporation's intentions and actions, a concern that has not since receded. Joy-Con drift is an incredibly irritating problem with the detachable controllers, called Joy-Cons both officially and unofficially that come with the Nintendo Switch. As the controllers age, they experience deterioration in the joystick function that causes the output of the analog stick to randomly move around and even input commands on a console while the user is not touching it. The issue typically occurs in the thumbstick, which almost always controls the movement of a character and is one of the most important controls for a vast majority of games. If a character reacts slowly or erratically to controller input, it can cause frustrating problems during gameplay. It could even make a player lose the game. The community discussed the issue for months before Kotaku reported on it back in 2019. Players were unhappy with the quality of the equipment they had been sold, particularly as Nintendo had previously been famous for the extreme durability of their products. Popular videos on the internet included people turning on a 40-year-old Game Boy and finding it still operational, 
or playing an original NES after it was run over by a vehicle. There's even an original Game Boy on display in the World Nintendo Store in New York City that survived a bomb strike during the first Gulf War, and it's still playable now, 30 years later. The plastic outer shell is melted and burned to a crisp, but the screen is clear, the buttons still work, and it still runs games. Once the Joy-Con controversy blew up, Nintendo stepped into action. They agreed to fix or replace the affected Joy-Cons that were under warranty. Gamers with out-of-warranty controllers would have to pay a fee upwards of $40 for the repair, which is nearly the price of a brand new controller. After much backlash and a class action lawsuit, Nintendo finally agreed to replace or fix the controllers for free, regardless of warranty status. Though the company finally addressed the issues surrounding the Switch Joy-Cons, players continued to have problems with the peripherals and their resentment continued to mount. This issue has led to multiple lawsuits being filed against the company all the way back into 2021 and quite possibly beyond, a stunning rebuke to the once vaulted Nintendo seal of quality. Recently, a Canadian law firm has filed a class action lawsuit against Nintendo for continuing to sell faulty Joy-Cons despite knowing about the problems and for failing to disclose the issue to consumers before they purchased. Another lawsuit objecting to Nintendo's unfair, deceptive, and or fraudulent business practices was filed in 2020 in the United States. Threats of further legal action are up in the air in Europe as well. Now, before we continue on to discuss the cancellation of the Smash Brothers tournament, we're just gonna take a quick break to thank today's sponsors. The holidays are here, so it means it's the shopping season, it's time to gather gifts for yourself or family or whatever you need. And if you're looking for a gift for yourself, maybe even a new wireless plan, it's also the season of switching phone carriers. And that's because Mint Mobile is offering one heck of a deal right now. Because for a limited time, when you buy any three month wireless plan, you'll get an extra three months for free, which is absolutely insane considering they offer premium service with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network starting at 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile lets you choose the amount of data that's right for you so you can stop paying for data you don't use. I've been using them for over a year and by far one of the easiest things is that every time I need to reload my service and just pay for another couple months, I just go into their app and do it. It's easy. For a limited time, buy any three month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months for free by going to mintmobile.com MLM. That's mintmobile.com MLM. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com MLM. Not long ago in the very stylish and groovy 1970s, Adam and Eve was born. And I'm not talking about the biblical Adam and Eve. I think you guys already know who I'm talking about. I mean the adult online boutique, Adam and Eve. They've got everything you could need to spice up an evening with yourself, a partner, or maybe even more. They've got lingerie, games, movies, toys, and everything under the sun. Plus Adam and Eve offers 24 seven customer service and a 90 day no hassle return. So if anything goes wrong with your order, just let them know and they'll get it taken care of. Plus Adam and Eve is out here doing a world of good. 20% of their profits go to help fight the spread of HIV all around the world. And Adam and Eve turned 50 this year and to celebrate their half century of sex positivity, they're giving out the deals. So get your ho, ho, ho on and get to Adam and Eve. We've all heard about supply chain issues and delivery issues every day. So don't wait on your Adam and Eve order. Shop now, shop early, hurry while supplies last. Go to adamandeve.com and use code casket to get 50% off one item and free shipping to the US and Canada. Some exclusions apply. He doesn't want to lose like this. Whoa. Is that it? That's it? Last dog. All right, right here. 
In 2020, the hashtag Free Melee went viral on social media following another Nintendo scandal that left fans furious. The Super Smash Brothers fandom is absolutely huge with fans across the world taking part in competitive and casual gameplay on a daily basis. There are various Smash tournaments that take place annually where fans meet in person to compete on a larger scale. The Big House is one of the largest and most popular tournaments in existence. Taking place each year in Michigan, the event attracts upwards of 1500 players. The tournament is a big deal in the Smash community and the winner can expect a cash prize in the thousands of dollars range. The Big House was set for its 10th annual Super Smash Brothers Melee event in 2020 when COVID hit. Most businesses were forced to shut down and in-person events had to be canceled for fairly obvious reasons. Despite the difficulties COVID presented, the Big House wanted to continue with the popular Smash tournament. In order to do this safely, the organizers decided that the tournament would be held virtually. However, Super Smash Bros. Melee cannot be played online as it was published and shipped despite the fans begging Nintendo to give the game online multiplayer, but the company didn't seem to have plans to do so. To make the now remote event work during the pandemic, the big house decided to use an unapproved rollback netcode or mod called Slippy and make Melee playable online for the tournament. In years past, Nintendo never had a problem with the tournament, although the big house had been charging entry fees and playing the game on a mass scale since 2011. But as soon as the event decided to utilize a mod, Nintendo came down on the big house hard. On November 10th, nine days after the big house announced that the tournament would be online, they received a cease and desist letter demanding the shutdown of the entire event because of the third-party software. The cancellation of the event under legal threat led to massive protests on social media with hashtag free melee and hashtag safe smash trending on Twitter and other social media sites. Fans were outraged. Many had argued for years that melee was potentially a viable esport that could become its own successful industry and that it was hampered in this potential by Nintendo's refusal to support online play for the older Smash Brothers games. Now, the fans saw Nintendo not just failing to respond, but actively preventing a competitive event, all in the name of the sanctity of their software. Nintendo has always been very controlling of its game software and infamous for rigorous in-house programming demands and rigorous requirements to be a Nintendo game publisher. However, for many modern gamers who were accustomed to Nintendo utilizing fan feedback, this felt like a step too far. At the height of the outrage, an anonymous Twitter user posted a list of complaints and criticisms of Nintendo's handling of its Melee online presence. The Twitlonger included claims that large third-party groups, including E-League, an organization that brought Street Fighter and other games to ESPN, attempted to work with Nintendo to bring Smash Melee to the esports realm, but Nintendo refused to cooperate. The post also claims that Twitch put up millions of dollars in partnership with Nintendo to create a series of Smash tournaments across the US, but Nintendo essentially ghosted Twitch workers, ignoring attempts for communication until 2018, when they announced Super Smash Bros. Ultimate at E3. These claims were later corroborated by multiple professional and big name Smash players who worked behind the scenes and saw how Nintendo was actively hurting Melee's chances of becoming a proper esport. Despite the outrage, the tournament remained canceled and Super Smash Bros. Melee is still unplayable online without the use of third-party programs. Following the cancellation of the Big House tournament, Nintendo suddenly canceled their own event, the Splatoon 2 Finals livestream scheduled to take place at the end of 2020, citing unexpected execution challenges. 
However, much of the community speculated that the canceling of the final live stream had nothing to do with execution challenges and everything to do with the protests that were occurring among the players themselves. Multiple teams slated to participate in the finals changed their names in support of the Melee community. Some teams took names that were variants of the hashtag free Melee. After canceling the Splatoon 2 tournament, the hashtag free Splatoon also started trending. Although Nintendo legally can deny people the right to play their games with unapproved third-party software, to much of the Melee community, this was just another example of Nintendo ignoring its fans and making it impossible to develop Melee into a successful esport. And all out of what appears to be nothing more than pettiness and blind commitment to misguided principles. This, after all, was not the first time Nintendo had a problem with another company modifying their games with outside software. In the 1990s, a company named Galoob produced a product called the Game Genie, which slotted in between the cartridge and the original Nintendo Entertainment System, enabling players to modify the game without making permanent or physical alterations to the cartridge or the console. Mostly it was a cheat code device, enabling infinite lives, infinite air jumps, clipping through walls, a whole smorgasbord of God-made goodies. Nintendo took issue with the third-party device and sued them as well as a company called Calamerica, which distributed the same product in Canada. Galoob's defense was that the Game Genie created a derivative work by modifying the game code and was thus covered by fair use. The ruling, however, was not sympathetic to this interpretation since the Game Genie's work could not stand on its own without the Nintendo cartridge. Having won this victory in the 1990s, Nintendo is perhaps understandably reluctant to potentially weaken it by permitting similar situations, such as the use of Slippy for the Melee tournament to persist into present, however harmless or beneficial it might seem to be. In 2014, Nintendo's hypervigilant IP enforcement policies angered a lot of content creators on YouTube. Creators would upload review videos or Let's Play videos in which the host plays a game with minor commentary for the audience to watch and enjoy. Just as quickly, the videos would be removed for copyright infringement, presumably as a result of overzealous automated content detection. In response to the community's anger, Nintendo created the Nintendo Creators Program, which allowed content creators to upload videos of Nintendo content without fear of having them removed from YouTube for licensing issues. Nintendo content uploaded by these creators was eligible for ad revenue, giving creators the opportunity to register individual videos or entire channels with Nintendo the company would review their request to be official Nintendo creators. If approved, a channel could then make ad revenue with Nintendo's blessing. If the channel was not solely Nintendo oriented and only certain individual videos were submitted, the videos would be subject to a similar review process with similar permissions granted to allow ad revenue on those specific videos. And that sounds great on the surface, right? Unfortunately, there were several massive catches in the fine print that caused uproar among YouTube creators after the program's release. The first major problem was that videos submitted for review could take multiple days to be approved, a sticking point for content creators who like to be fast and nimble and above all, timely with their video game content. The second major problem was the review process itself, which seemed to many YouTubers to be opaque and potentially unfair. What exactly were Nintendo's criteria for an acceptable video? Would they approve content that spoke positively? Did they intend to censor or demonetize negative reviews or gameplay footage that included critiques? Even if Nintendo fully intended to be honest and willing to accept complaints and criticism with good humor, content creators worried about the subtle chilling effect that the mere threat of demonetization might bring. Would reviews of Nintendo games become inherently untrustworthy and unreliable because the reviewers feared to speak too negatively? The last major issue that creators had with the Nintendo creators program is that Nintendo would take a cut of the ad revenue for any approved videos. And yes, you heard that right. 
Nintendo, one of the most powerful and profitable video game companies in world history, expected individual content creators to give them ad revenue for the privilege of reviewing their company's games. By itself, the idea of paying a licensing fee or sharing profits with the creators of the content you use to generate your videos doesn't sound crazy, but it could become a slippery slope when it comes to reviews. Let's play videos often include incidental commentary on the gameplay and what a YouTuber thinks of it. Even though approved videos would receive 60% ad revenue and approved channels would receive 70%, Nintendo's fine print stated that those percentages could change arbitrarily. This not only put creators who relied on Nintendo contact in an uncomfortable position, but it also made Nintendo look incredibly shady. YouTube creators all the way up to the highest tier were outraged by the creator program, but Nintendo continued to utilize it until 2019 when it was finally shut down to make way for new guidelines regarding Nintendo content on YouTube. These new guidelines are more lenient, allowing creators to upload Nintendo content that is eligible for ad revenue without going through the review process that the Nintendo creator program required. However, the new guidelines are still not particularly popular with the gaming community. They state that Nintendo content must not be straight gameplay, and if the gameplay is uploaded, creators must include creative commentary. This is a step in the right direction and gives creators a bit more freedom, but some still feel limited by it, especially since Nintendo can basically pull videos at will based on the very flexible requirements for something to count as creative commentary. The creation and conclusion of the creator's program left a sour taste in many mouths and added extra wariness around uploading Nintendo content, especially for smaller channels without a large active subscriber base or external subscription funds. For a YouTube channel with fewer resources and slower production times, the financial consequences of having a single video taken down or demonetized are much higher than for larger channels that upload content more frequently. One of the notable Nintendo scandals of recent years comes from their controversial handling of a YouTube creator who sold customized versions of Joy-Cons for charity. The custom controllers featured designs themed after a famous Nintendo YouTuber by the name of Etika. Etika was a popular content creator and streamer loved by the community and obsessed with everything Nintendo. However, Etika also struggled with various mental health issues. He was incredibly open about discussing his mental health and made multiple videos addressing it. But things seemed to become harder for him towards the end of 2018, where he began to display erratic behaviors, even endangering his own life. This period of Etika's life is well-documented on YouTube and was observed with concern by many other YouTubers. As the year progressed and his behavior worsened, the platform actually deleted his channel. Not long after that, his Twitch channels were also deleted. At that point, he began posting messages on Reddit that made people even more concerned for his safety. Etika posted an apology for causing people to worry about him, but his behavior afterwards didn't ease the concerns of his audience and friends. On June 19th, 2019, Etika posted a video to his personal YouTube channel that has now been removed, detailing his battle with his mental health and apologizing to his audience for his actions. Days later, Etika's body was found in New York's East River. He died from an apparent suicide at just 29 years old. Not long after Etika's death, an artist named Alex Blake, who customizes video game controllers and goes by Captain Alex online, created a successful Indiegogo campaign to sell what he called Eticons. Nintendo Joy-Cons designed by Blake in Etika's honor. All of the proceeds would have gone directly to the JED Foundation, an organization dedicated to young adult mental health and suicide prevention. After the first campaign was a minor success, Blake continued selling and donating the Joy-Cons for a second round of distribution, including selling remaining merchandise on Etsy. The campaign took off and tens of thousands of dollars were raised. Blake donated almost all of the proceeds to charity. The rest covered the Indiegogo fees. 
However, he shut down production after receiving a cease and desist letter from Nintendo. In a long Twitter thread, Blake discussed the cease and desist letter and the concerns it raised. Nintendo's main issue was that Blake used their trademark terms and images, specifically the term Joy-Con Boys, a phrase Etika's fan base referred to themselves by. Additionally, Nintendo described trademark infringements on some of the other items Blake sold as part of his business on Etsy. Blake took to Twitter in 2020, showcasing his redesigned Joy-Cons, comparing them with those of larger companies who do the same thing he does, purchasing Joy-Cons and redesigning them. These companies also use Nintendo's logos, but Nintendo took no action against them. In one instance, Blake showed a photo of his use of the letter M on a redesigned controller next to a redesign made by a larger company that not only featured the same letter M, but also Mario's image. In his Twitter thread, Blake was angered at the cease and desist letters focusing on the Eticons, described feeling attacked by Nintendo because he was a smaller artist. According to Blake, Nintendo called out the Eticons only after they gained popularity with a mourning community that wanted to memorialize Etika's passing. Despite larger companies engaging in similar behavior, and even though no profits were going to Blake, Nintendo insisted on ending the Eticon sales. It's an unfortunate fact of modern copyright and trademark law that companies often have to take aggressive actions against infringement if they don't want to lose legal control of their own trademark material. The law in many cases states that a trademark can be legally enforced only if the entity holds it and vigorously defends it. One of the unfortunate side effects to that is the fact that Joy-Con is one of Nintendo's trademarks and the name Joy-Con Boys emblazoned on the custom controllers required them to take action or risk having their failure to do so used against them in court at a later date. While Nintendo might be legally correct, punishing fans who are honoring a beloved community member is also not the best look. The colder, more openly mercenary approach of a modern Nintendo corporation does little to improve the public relations damage their actions have caused. It was an unfortunate situation made worse by an unfriendly response. Fans don't want to turn against the company that created many of their favorite childhood games, games that people still enjoy to this day. But these recent controversies have raised serious concerns within the community and public goodwill is running thin. Protests and hashtags aimed at Nintendo have become common in the past couple years, and the sense of disappointment in the company is evident with many gamers speaking out against them. Hopefully, Nintendo will learn some better community management and communication skills, or they may find their reputation isn't as indestructible as their early consoles. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new in this episode. And if you did, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.